never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 284 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And I was watching Arthur, and it occurred to me that Arthur and I are a lot alike. Arrested development, constantly drunk, vaguely charming. But it really comes down to rich. The most (laughs) significant difference is the money, really. Uh, It always is. And the height, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the hats. You definitely don't have as many hats as he does. And the number of servants that you know of. (laughs) That's why I didn't come live with you. I didn't want to end up in the gimp box. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I catch all my servants. (laughs) What? If you like gimp boxes. (laughs) Hey, you take a box, you put a gimp under there as bait, a little stick. (laughs) If you like gimp boxes, you may like the Bad Parenting Podcast. (laughs) Put a rubber ball under there. (laughs) piece of candy how have we derailed this much we're talking about the movie arthur and now we're talking about gimp boxes it hasn't even been a minute we haven't got through the intro Uh, nope if you like intros you'll find plenty (laughs) of intros on the shows of the podcast collective such as i am salt lake tales from the hard side the dog induced show talk music to me and of course the rad dad radio hour All that warm up for that, huh? <laughs> I approve. What you wanted, isn't it? <laughs> I approve. Are you not entertained? You want less flash, right? I like that one. Short and to the point. And rad, most importantly. Yes. It's like someone pulled the uh, plug on the amp. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was rad mom. <laughs> it was the gimp. So you like to hear our older stuff, uh, iTunes, Blu-ray, Stitcher, talk to Podverse FM on Spotify. Leave us a review on Podchaser or iTunes. And uh, if you want to call us, leave us a little note. Uh, 708, now wrap. 708-669-9727. Any feedback? This week? Uh-huh. Yeah. You <laughs> check your cables, I guess. That's uh... Probably not. <laughs> So. This is why people don't call a writer, email or voicemails. I don't, I don't think that's why. I'm going to blame it on that. It's probably the GIMP box. Yeah, <laughs> more than likely. And bad reception in the GIMP box. Nobody's heard from David in a while, right? So. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's about that time. Aw. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right, so the day we're going with is July 17th, 1981, which is the release of the original Arthur. All right, so music. The number one song of the land was Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes, which saw the end of its 10-week run when The One That You Love by Air Supply knocked it from the top spot. Wow. I said, here I am. The one that you love. It's a sad time for music. Asking eh. for another day. Is Betty Davis size that bad? No, I I'm like not Betty talking about that song. I'm talking about yeah, this. I kind of like that song. Air Supply is a uh, guilty pleasure, I guess. 
I don't really like them, but I don't hate them. Put that and on. If, with and, some if it, and if they Pop. come on, I'll sing it because I know the words. Because grab of your course. cardigan. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll tease my hair up. I'm all out of love. Put my members only jacket on. I'm so lost without you. If you get caught say. between the moon and New York City. That's not air supply. That's not air No, supply. I know. I said if you between that and Christopher Cross, you know, you got to get your card again. And Oh, I yeah. missed your Christopher Cross. Sit in front of the fire and lament about supply side economics. <laughs> what? It's the 80s. What else are you going to do? <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Cross's early stuff before he learned to jump, jump. Oh God! Jeez. That's, that's a Joel joke. <laughs> God, what just happened? Oh my God! We've switched places. <laughs> it's Freaky Thursday. <laughs> what the hell just happened? <laughs> uh, it wasn't even funny. Uh, anyway. oh, Jesus! Now I know how you guys feel. <laughs> Vaguely queasy. It's what I was going for. Uh, the Jacksons. That's what he's always going for too. Wow. The Jacksons were in the early stages of their 36 city, the triumph tour, which was the tour after MJ's off the wall album was released. Michael created the costumes and designed the stage. And the choreography was done by Michael, Jackie and Marlon Jackson. The shows included magical elements included, or excuse me, designed by Doug Henning and his mustache. For example, Michael disappeared in smoke during don't stop till you get enough. It's magic. A feat he would replicate during a Pepsi commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. stop till you get <laughs> And finally, on July 16th, folk singer-songwriter Harry Forster Chapin was involved in a fatal car crash on his way to a benefit concert. The American singer-songwriter, humanitarian and producer, best known for his folk rock and pop rock songs, Chapin achieved worldwide success in the 1970s. A Grammy Award-winning artist and Grammy Hall of Fame inductee, he sold over 16 million records worldwide. He recorded a total of 11 albums and had 14 singles that charted on at least one national music chart. A dedicated humanitarian, Chapin was a key participant in the creation of the Presidential Commission on World Hunger. In 1987, he was posthumously awarded the Congressional Gold Medal for his humanitarian work. Rest in peace. Wow. And uh, for those of you unfamiliar with him, his two most favorite songs were Cats uh, in the Cradle. Cats in the Cradle. Yep. Yeah. And, and the of I, I, hmm? I was just singing the song. You were singing the song. Oh. Yeah. Uh, shit. Theme to Taxi? Was that him? Well, just Taxi, not the theme to Taxi. But yeah. Oh. The song Taxi about the guy who, you know, who picked up the rich lady and dropped <clears> her <throat> off, you know, at her house. And then tried to assassinate the president. They used to be lovers back in the day when they were young. You know. Liked underage prostitutes. What is going on? <laughs> well, one guy can't decide between the taxi, the sitcom. The other guy can't decide between taxi driver. And I'm trying to describe the song. Taxi so you're telling driver. me that's not the theme to taxi. <laughs> no. <laughs> you talking to me? I think you're talking to me. There's nobody else here. You're talking to me. Yeah. Those two things are not related. Harry Chapin did not do the theme song to taxi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And, and Harry Chapin has nothing to do with Travis Bickle. <laughs> I just looked up his other songs. He also no. sung 30,000 Pounds of Bananas. Yeah. I, I saw that. That's a that's a thing. He's no Harry Chapin Carpenter. 
that was a, a kind of a, a, a gimmicky niche type song like Chuck Berry did, you know, with uh, My Dingaling that he did in the 80s. Again, proving my point that, well, not in the 80s, I guess, because he, well, I guess it was early 80s because he died in 81. He's like one of the last songs he ever did. My Dingaling? No, 30,000 Tons of Bananas or whatever the fuck that song is. AKA My Dingaling. You're is that the theme to Taxi? <laughs> <laughs> I hate you guys. Oh, you're talking to me. I got 30,000 pounds of bananas to the president. Oh, you hey, me. is that Reverend Jim? <laughs> Jody, Jody, I love you, Jody. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. All right, let's move on to movies. Thank you. The top movie in the land was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, Perhaps you've little, heard of it. <laughs> yes, my, my favorite movie ever. Yeah, I believe it. One of the few movies that I can vividly recall going to see it for the first time. Yeah, the mm. hype around that was like the first movie uh, of my life I ever like remember hearing hype for. Yeah, I just remember seeing the cover of Fangoria magazine with uh, the face melting. Ooh, Ooh. that was like on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Movies released this week. Escape from New York, The Fox and the Hound, Arthur, Endless Love, and of course, Zorro the Gay Blade. It's yeah. quite a collection of films. It's not a bad collection. I mean, it's a, it's very a nice, different. It's a nice swath of movies. Like if you yeah. had to be stuck in one week and only could watch that week, that's not a bad little. You had a little bit of everything in there. Yeah, yeah. Kids movie, kind of action, post-apocalyptic thing, comedy, comedy, romance, romance, and, still- and, and parody. Yeah. I was going to say, and all of those things in Zorro the Gay Blade. <laughs> hush your mouth. <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not wrong, but hush your mouth just the same. I, again, don't understand the weird. <laughs> Zorro the Gay Blade where he's trying to kill El Presidente. <laughs> all right. Francis oh, Elliott. Francis Elliott, Fran Kranz, was born on July 13th. He's an American film, television, and Broadway actor known for his portrayal of Topher Brink in Dollhouse. He also had prominent roles in the films The Cabin in the Woods and Much Ado About Nothing. In 2012, he played Bernard in Death of a Salesman, beginning a career on Broadway that continued with 2014's The Acronym of the Week, which is Y-C-T-I-W-Y, which I'm pretty sure is you country twats ignore white Yankees. (laughs) <laughs> i wow. think that's a bumper sticker i've seen <laughs> I, I think so uh no sorry that's a that's a that's a wrong guess again i'm yeah. like zero for 280 <laughs> that is actually you can't take it with you Ooh. Uh, i was in that show over there Yep, that's why I decided. To, that's why I changed the acronym of the week when I came up, when I saw that one. I was like, "Oh, that's relevant." Yeah. Oh. Also born on July fourteenth, Trevor Fairman is most widely known for his role in the film Clerks Two, in which he plays Elias Grover, Dante and Randall's new co-worker at the Mooby's fast food chain. Clerks Two wasn't. Yes. I don't know. It wasn't no, as no, bad, not, it wasn't no, as, the, bad the, as I was expecting clerks, it to be. Clerks 2 wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I love Clerks 2. Yeah. 
It wasn't I, Clerks I one, but it was fine. Yeah. yeah, it was it was serviceable and fine. My favorite scene was the dance scene on the rooftop. Yeah, I was going to say the scene with Dante and Rosario Dawson on the roof was amazing. Yeah, that's the best scene in the whole movie. But the, how about well, the scene the, where Dante's trying to have the conversation and uh, Jay's bopping his naked ass up against the window while they're trying to talk? Well, <laughs> I think of the Lord of the Rings conversation. Where he oh, makes yeah. the guy yeah. grow up. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. So TV. But anyway, uh, go, going oh. no, going back one bullet real quick. The oh. uh, Fran, Fran Kranz, uh, he's the guy that played the stoner in Cabin in the Woods, just to make sure you guys know who he is. Oh, oh I, I know who he is very well. I, I oh, follow okay. him on Twitter. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. You mm-hmm. really do know him. The, the shaggy uh, an- yeah. analog. Yep. Yeah, he was yeah, actually I was really a big good. fan of Nullhouse, actually. Hmm. It was a shame that the uh, they had to cram like four seasons worth of development into the last two episodes because it got canceled. Mm. They're like, well, we're going to do the ending. Uh, also known as the Game of Thrones treatment. <laughs> Sprint. Mm. Sprint. We're not getting into that here. <laughs> Another show. All that and a cup of coffee. Yeah, I could do a whole hour and a half rant on that alone. Yeah, you and the rest of the internet can go fuck yourselves. <laughs> I'm a dash. <laughs> All right, so TV. Blake Colin Lewis, born on July 21st, is an American singer-songwriter who was a runner-up on the sixth season of American Idol. Real hard-to-find stuff on this one. Yeah. Uh, Big week in TV, I see. <laughs> yeah. I just now realized I forgot to put the top TV shows in, so let's say it was uh, Cheers. All, All in the Family. And, no, no, this is the 90s, so Cheers. It was 81, and, wasn't it? Yeah. Seinfeld. Oh, is it 81? Okay. Well, yeah. Then, uh, yeah. Cosby and all that other shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? Co- I was saying Cosby and Cosby and what? Different world and Cheers. Cheers. Cosby wasn't out in 81, was it? No. I don't we're fucking talking care. Like Cheers, MASH. 60, 60 Minutes. minutes. Uh, um, and, Dallas. Uh, Dallas. Yeah. Dallas. Dallas would be a good yeah. One. There you go. Family right. ties. There we go. All right. First, first bullet out. We're done. God bless it. All right. So Taylor Jacks Kinney, born July 15th, is an American actor and model. He is known for The Vampire Diaries, Zero Dark Thirty, The Other Woman, and for playing Lieutenant Kelly Severid? Severid? Severid, I think. Severide. Severidy. Severidy. Samsonite. Way off. In Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, and Chicago Med. Noticing a trend. <laughs> Kenny began dating Lady Gaga in 2011 and became engaged and became engaged. <laughs> they were engaged in February 15. Oh my God, we're suddenly engaged. February 2015. <laughs> what we woke up engaged. <laughs> but ended up calling off their engagement in July of 2016. Okay, I found the actual top three shows in Ooh. the land. Cool. <laughs> you guys were close. It was Dallas 60 Minutes and the Jeffersons? Oh. We got two of the three. You yeah. did. Moving nice. on up. All right. So, born July 18th, Michael Hussman is a Dutch actor, musician, and singer songwriter who has acted in both Dutch and English TV series and films. Go figure. He starred in The Age of Adeline, Treme, oh, Game no, of Thrones, and The Haunting of Hill House. Treme. Treme. Yes. Well, there's no little things above the top, but I don't know. <laughs> Treme. What is that? Sorry, Treme? I love that it, show, so I couldn't let that one slide. It's, it's a show about a, a, a area of New Orleans. 
Yeah. Well, yeah oh. Specifically the uh, uh, carnival parades and like the different factions in New Orleans. Okay. It's post Katrina, right? Yeah. And it, haunting it's one of the, of the great HBO shows, like in the vein of Oz and the Wire. And it was the first show to go to New Orleans after Katrina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Game of Thrones and Haunting of Hill House. Ta-da! He, played, uh, he was Dario in Game of Thrones. Yeah. It was of a the, Dario. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, one of the Dario's, the last Dario. And then uh, I did not realize that he um, he was also Stephen in The Haunting of Hill House. I did not realize that was Dario yep. and the same, yeah. Laura and I had a conversation about that. We're like, why does he look so familiar? Oh, yeah. I still haven't seen the haunting of Hill House. It's worth really time. good. Yeah. It's worth the time. I uh, enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. Fucking floating guy with the bowler hat. The bowler man. Bowler oh, hat dude. Oh. <clears throat> All right. Broken neck woman. Sport it up, Pat. Sports. Sports. On July 19th, at the final day of the British Open, American Bill Rogers won his only major title, finishing four strokes ahead of Bernard Langer. It's not a lot of strokes. Yeah. Born July 22nd, Curtis Jonathan Hussey is an American professional wrestler currently signed to the WWE, performing under the ring name Fandango. <laughs> and his gimmick is that he's a flamenco dancer. So, yeah. In April 2013, the WWE audience members started singing and dancing to his entrance music, which rose substantially on iTunes charts. It like char- it, it, like trended on Twitter and everything, and became a little phenomenon, and actually got, got generated real news coverage in mainstream media. Wow! Yeah, his it, like it became a little meme type thing for a little while to do his song and a little dance type thing in the middle. You know, it was like dabbing, but not as popular. Well, good on him. Ugh, I hate that that's a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> running short on ideas. We'll make him a flamenco dancer. That's but good. The, that's a good his ring partner is just beyond gorgeous. So it's not all bad. And lastly, Zachary McKinley Randolph, born July 16th, is an NBA player who played for five teams over the course of his professional career, last for the Sacramento Kings. Nicknamed Zebo, the two-time NBA All-Star, was drafted in the 2001 NBA Draft by the Portland Trailblazers. He made the All-NBA third team in 2011 with the Grizzlies, and he retired last year after being traded and then released. Aww. And <laughs> that's the end of the tweet. Into the wild. He has been seen wherever the Smoky Mountains. Some say he's out there today still hustling. He was one of those. He was one of those, you know, players that a lot of people liked because he was, you know, hard worker, you know, hustle guy, running around, falling over the floor, chasing the ball, that kind of guy. Hmm. Yeah. So not us. No. Like a J. He was like a J back in our. Remember how how crazy J was on the basketball court? That's what he was like. I I don't, but I'll take your word for it. R J. Yeah, he, huh. he played. He, he was the one that played the most defense on our basketball team. <laughs> Jay. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he couldn't score worth a lick, but he could play defense. Neat. He, he was our Rodman, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Jay was our Dennis Rodman. How great of a sentence is that? Confusing. Uh, Makes up <laughs> for the other sentence. <laughs> All right. Take us out, keyboard Joel. 
Nah, 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 nah. Dab on them haters. <laughs> Jesus. Don't Christ. do that. You you edit that shit out right now. You don't even wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Arthur, 1981. That is the uh, movie that we chose. Got a little... Uh, Summary for it right here. In New York, the reckless millionaire Arthur Bach is frequently in the headlines since he is permanently drunk. However, he is a warm-hearted person raised by his butler, Hobson. When he stumbles stumbles with Linda Marola in the store, he notes that she is shoplifting a tie, and he decides to follow her with Hobson. Arthur helps Linda when the security guard arrests her, and they date in the night. They fall in love with each other, but Arthur's father and grandmother want him to marry the also-millionaire Susan Johnson, otherwise they will take his fortune. What will Arthur do? Was this written by the same guy who did Bovine the Bear? It was. Uh, Claudio Carvalho <laughs> from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Which, believe Arthur, it or not... Arthur quitted oh. Susan Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, that was actually better than the uh, official IMDB page for it. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a little, like... Uh, clunky and stilted but it's not bad no no good it's not, job it's by far not the worst description we've had on the show i mean no. it hits all the beats of the film yeah i mean come on what is the the official one is what i mean that's like a that's like a, a solid b yeah it's not you know it's not like a a or anything or it's, it's not an f or... no that's a good c plus effort right there yeah i'd have given it a c minus but i'm a tough grader mm. yeah I would, I would say b minus Ah, man, you guys. What the heck? You're kind of rough. I'm giving an S. Satisfactory. (laughs) All right. So, Arthur, 1981, is directed and written by Steve Gordon. Known for Arthur. (laughs) Is that it? Well, that and a bunch of TV series episodes from things like ranging from Barney Miller and Chico and the Man to uh, Good Time Harry and The Practice. Which kind of, in a way, explains why this movie doesn't really feel like a movie. any other movie. No. Definitely does not feel movie-like. And I guess they didn't like it enough to give him more movies. Well, they did his movie again, so I guess that's something. <laughs> but I, don't, I think this was one of those movies that wasn't really appreciated until after, long after it was out of the theaters. And it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, toss this in there. Music by Burt Backrack, who did all the music for all sorts of things. That you all know. Yes. Uh, most notably, one of the more famous ones that we've done actually here is the uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Yeah. Why are you going to like bring up the only song he didn't write? Because I know of a version of him singing it. <laughs> we just bring up him and the, one of the movies he's tied to. The only song in the soundtrack that he didn't write. You got to bring that up. That's funny. Wait, was that the theme to Taxi? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. What was it? Oh, my God. All right. So starring Dudley Moore is Arthur Bach. Uh, Dudley Moore, as you may remember from Santa Claus the Movie, when we did that. Oh, no. Uh, some other stuff like Bedazzled and The Hound of the Baskervilles. 
10. You ever heard of 10? Oh, yeah, 10. I forgot about 10. Arthur 2 on the rocks. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Also starring Lisa, Lisa Minnelli. Liza. Liza. This is Linda Morello. John Gielgud. Sir, I'm sorry. Sir John Gielgud as Hobson. Uh, I personally think he made me laugh more than anything. He's one of the best parts of the movie. Yes, he is. Uh, may recognize him as playing Beddoes, the butler from Murder on the Orient Express when we did that show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Geraldine Fitzgerald is Martha Bach, the uh, grandma. Jill Eikenberry is Susan Johnson. A very young Jill Eikenberry. Yes. Weren't they all back then? Kind of. Well, not Stephen Elliott. No, definitely not. Or, or John Gilgood. Not John Gilgood. <laughs> I don't think John Gilgood was ever anything but that. He's one of those guys that was always old. He was born distinguished. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, Joel Eikenberry was on uh, L.A. Law. Yep. Uh, Stephen Elliott as Burt Johnson. Uh, Six Million Dollar Man, Death Wish. He played the police commissioner. And uh, Chief Hubbard from Beverly Hills Cop. Ted Ross as Bitterman. Put him in there because I like Bitterman. Bitterman's great. Bitterman's great. And I like how his his picture is of him as the Cowardly Lion and the Wiz. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Bitterman, also Captain Reed from Police Academy. He And his final, his last thing that he did, he was the uh, limo bum from the Fisher King. Oh. Yeah. And he was an Arthur on the Rocks. Yeah. No. Am I... Th- it- why do you have to keep bringing up Arthur 2? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And also, as a very brief moment, Paul Gleason giving the bull <laughs> and getting the horns. In a great cameo. Yeah. On the other hand, go screw yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, John Gilgood, I mean, he has such delivery. But we'll get to that. Uh, at one point during the production, Liza Minnelli was supposed to board a bus in front of Berghoff's on uh, Fifth Avenue. When a real bus came along, she boarded it thinking it was the movie bus. Not until <laughs> she was halfway down the block that she realized her blunder when she looked back and saw the whole crew laughing at her. <laughs> That's great. That is fantastic. So, also, Sir John Gilgood turned down the role of Hobson several times, finally accepting it only because the salary that he was offered was too good to pass up. I'm so glad they got him. I know, right? See, of all the things we need for this movie, we I mean, need John Gilgood. Yeah. Other like British actors would have done a very serviceable job. They would have been great, but I just he brought something extra to the like his just little level of like credibility. Hit, well, credibility and just his level of hidden, almost seething hatred, but <laughs> that underlies the love, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his his basically his holding disdain of everybody. Yeah. So like even I, Arthur, because I mean he's watching him, you know, just have everything and still, you know. Mm-hmm. And when think, he finally blows there on the racetrack, we'll get there. But yeah, oh. anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> yes. Uh, after uh, we lost my place, uh, reportedly when Dudley Moore was doing the mansion moose head sequence, a letting tech mission laughed so much that he fell off his ladder. I've also heard that there were so there that one scene did like twenty eight takes because he could he just kept ad libbing it and making everybody forget like, about the moose. <laughs> uh, 
The best laugh I got out of that was just, you must really hate this moose. <laughs> <laughs> it's... But yeah, so uh, also, after shooting the scene where Arthur gets beaten up by his would-be father-in-law, Dudley Morris was still wearing his tattered costume and bloody makeup when he turned to his then-girlfriend, Susan Anton, who was nearly eight and a half inches taller than him in a Waldorf Astoria elevator and said, Susan, I told you I'd be home. Why wouldn't you believe me? (laughs) So... Gotta, gotta say, he's got some good timing, too. You ever seen any of his old stuff uh, that he did? He he was he and, um, oh my god, I can't think of his name. Um, they John were Gilgood. a comedy... Hmm? John Gilgood. No, but they were a comedy duo, and they, they used to do, like, you know, a vaudeville-type stand-up, you know, comedy stuff. Like, and Dudley Moore, there was one really great one... Uh, a one Dudley Moore playing a one-legged man who's trying out to be Tarzan. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. All right. Yeah, one, one more trivia. One more trivia. And oops, lost it. There we go. The movie's song, Arthur's Theme, known as The Best That You Can Do, was co-written by Christopher Cross, Burt Bacharach, Carol Byers-Sager, and Peter Allen, who was Liza Minnelli's ex-husband. Alan's only contribution to the song was its famous chorus lyric, When You Get Caught Between the Moon and New York City, The Best You Can Do Is Fall in Love. He came up with a line while sitting on an airplane that was stuck in a holding pattern over New York City at night and while waiting to land at JFK Airport. Despite his minimal contribution, the other three songwriters insisted that Alan receive songwriting credit. How is that minimal contribution? That's like the key phrase in the whole song i know i don't understand how that means it's like the i mean it's the chorus that's the one thing all, you remember. all i did was was write uh the sweet hook. child of mine but you know i don't even really have much to do with the song yeah all he did was write the whistling part well yeah <laughs> <laughs> is that november rain um <laughs> <laughs> no that was space quest oh, okay uh, he ended up winning an Academy Award for Best Song for having this small but important contribution. And they were like, damn it, why did we give him so much credit? Raindrops keep falling on my head. So, yeah. but what? No. Um, you threw me with the raindrops <laughs> thing, man. <laughs> really did. So well, is, when in Rome. I know. Is this the first viewing for any of us? Yes. What? What? Huh? Yes. Wow. Really? Get a rope. <laughs> yes, this was the first time I've ever seen it. E- wow. Even I had seen it, and I- I've never liked this movie. That hurts me to the core, but we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. There's a lot of things I haven't seen, but, uh, you know, I've seen a lot more than all of you combined, probably. Well, yeah. Yeah, but, but still, I mean. But it, yeah, this is just, it's, it's. I consider it a comedy classic. I know that you know Josh disagrees, but well, what's interesting about it is as I was watching it, I kept thinking about your your because you said it's one of your all time favorites, right? Yeah. And I just I kept watching it, going, this just doesn't seem like Patrick Fair. And then again, when you commented on how you thought it was some of the best um, banter, would you say banter? Yeah, mm-hmm. in a film that I was listening to the dialogue and I, I got that. And initially I was really annoyed by it. Um, 
his laughter reminded me of David Brent uh, from the UK office. Oh yeah. And his portrayal of, you know, a very realistic drunk was really grating. Like that whole first scene, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be awful. Oh, but he's so good at it. No, I mean, through the course of the film though, I fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, spoilers. I mean, he's, you know, Jim Leahy is the other great drunk portrayal of our time. Um, John uh, Dunsworth from Trailer Park Boys, but yeah, yeah he, he does play a good, a good drunk. And just like the whole interaction between the three, you know, between Dudley Moore, Liza Minnelli, and John Gielgud, the first time they meet as she's getting ready to get on that bus we talked about, you know, yeah, that's just a great scene. Like the 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 banter between the three of them. He's like, uh, imagine if he called me, <laughs> you know, all that. It's just the whole thing. But usually, one must go to a bowling alley to meet a woman of your stature. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, in bit the the three of them are all really good at the comebacks. So it was like comeback tennis. Yeah, and that was one of the th- one of the things actually. A uh, couple. This is uh, I don't even know how many times I've seen this. Probably about eight. Um, I thought we were going to say like sixty, and you're like, eh, I don't know, eight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not like an enormous number, but I've seen it plenty of times, you know, and. It wasn't until I saw it as, you know, kind of, you know, in my 30s or whatever that I started to appreciate just how funny Liza Minnelli was in it. She really is. I mean, she she definitely carries her uh, her part of the part of the story very well. It's, it's funny uh, because I, I had hoped that age would give me a different perspective on this film. And it did. I mean, this I, I'm at the most positive I've ever been on it. I just. John Gilgood made me laugh a couple times. Um, I maybe laughed once when Dudley Moore talked. Like really? I, overall, huh. I just found all of the characters except Hobson pretty unlikable. And I just, it none of it struck me as particularly funny. Huh. Hmm. See, I thought there was a nice blend between Hobson's just completely deadpan, straight-laced, um, you know, lines, Dudley Moore's kind of over the top, silly lines and Liza Minnelli's kind of very sweet and lovable lines. And they just kind of all played back and forth and made a really nice little blend. I agree with that assessment. So other, I mean, was it basically just that you found the characters unlikable? I found the characters unlikable. I found it not particularly funny for a comedy and overall, I, I mean, I found it less boring than I found it 20 years ago when I first saw it, but still a little boring. Hmm. See, wow, it, just... it's got the tail end of the seven, like we say, the 70s pacing. I didn't laugh. I mean, I remember laughing a lot at it. And I will agree with you, Josh, is that um, Arthur is pretty grating in the first couple scenes. It was it was almost cringy with the whole conversation with the hooker. But I think I thought that was great. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it was, it was hilarious. I mean, it was, I mean, it was funny, but I think it was kind of it was funny with a side of cringe. And it wasn't until Hobson showed up the next morning that you saw the balance between Dudley Moore and John Gilgood with the wacky comedian. I mean, and John Gilgood being the ultimate straight man. Yeah. I have nothing bad to say about John Gilgood. I mean, uh, 
awkwardly, in some ways, that made it worse for me because the only character I gave a shit about was the one who died. <laughs> like, I don't care what happens to any of these people. If I should begin to die, please take this off of my head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was good. Yeah. Or the, um, go to the race. The, wash the, her little dick for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the, the point where I was 100% in love with John Gilgood's character was when uh, Arthur was asking if fish ever got tired of seafood. <laughs> and he just comes over, takes off the top hat, slaps him in the head, and puts it back and walks away. And apparently that was complete improv. Really? Really? Yeah. I read, I, that, that's why Dudley <laughs> laughed that hard, because he was not expecting him to hit him. That's fantastic. <laughs> See, and I went into this unsure if I was going to like him, because... You know, I've heard so many things about it. I've heard, you know, your praise of it. I've seen the, you know, the poster a million times or this shot of him in the bathtub with the the hat on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really didn't know what to expect. So I kind of went into it with a negative attitude. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. I came out of it with a totally different interpretation than Josh did. And for some reason, I thought Josh would have enjoyed it. Hmm. I'm a little surprised. So you said what, what you were stepping into it with a, preconceived notion what was that notion on the on the uh the movie what were you what were you expecting to see i just didn't i'm, I'm not like a dudley moore fan um i've seen him in a couple things and i'm kind of like yeah you know he's a guy i i like um judy garland but i've never really understood the liza minnelli fascination but i kind of i really i got it in this movie she still seemed a little they seem like an odd couple but they worked so well together and they were so like, I, I believe that they were a couple. Um, and kind yeah, of they, had, they had good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the interplay between them was very charming because t- too often in the movies, you get a couple where, you know, there's some sort of conflict or there's another woman or there's something that kind of causes this turmoil. And no matter what was going on, they were always, happy they always liked being around each other they played off each other well and i i like that it was a nice nice kind of refreshing change of pace um plus it was just it was a damn funny movie Hmm. i thought character that i enjoyed more than i suppose i was supposed to was um linda's dad (laughs) yeah I mean, just, you know, the unemployed dude trying to find a job. She steals him a tie. And what does he do? First thing is when him walking around the house with that tie on and that tank top. Yeah, I hope, I hope you like this tie. If I don't get a job, it's going to be your birthday present. Yeah. <laughs> or when he's standing outside of her room and he gives her the check with for $20,000 or however yeah. much money it was. And he's like, no. You know, it's, <laughs> I kept waiting for him to say, my wallet's gone. My wallet's yeah. gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> No, I mean it's it's. I think everybody in this movie, all the way down to um, like to Bitterman, everybody had a, a distinct character to them. I think I liked. Mm-hmm. There's, I definitely have a opinion between the Bitterman from this one and the Bitterman from the next one. Uh, but everybody had a little bit of caricature. I mean, well, you and one of the things that kind of I, that I like about the first version versus versus the second version is the people around Arthur in this movie all, yeah, it's a job to them, but they also really actually like 
care for him and like him. They like, you know, treat him like a friend almost. I mean, you know, yeah. Bitterman, you know, is, he's not just, it's, it's not just, he's not just there for comedic relief. He's actually, you know, not just the chauffeur. He's also like a friend. Yeah. He, he I gives a damn about the person who he works for. I actually could have used more Bitterman, honestly. Yeah. I felt yeah. like that character was underutilized a bit because he could have been a nice counterpoint to um, Hobson, especially when he left. No, passed. Well, he could have uh, been the, the everyman that, you know, you, you get to see the, what, what the life of a billionaire looks like through every man's eyes, you know? Yeah. And he was, and he had his moments too, you know, I, he was a likable kind of charismatic guy. I thought, what did you think about grandma? Oh, peanuts. <laughs> like what did she ask him? What is it like being um, promiscuous? promiscuous? <laughs> At your age, Martha, I think it might be dangerous. It was well written. I think there was great. I mean, besides, if you take the delivery out of it, the lines that they were given for the script were well written. I and, I, just, and, and you know, the guy who wrote this uh, clearly, I mean, had has some knowledge of what like the ultra wealthy are like because, in my line of work throughout my life, I've dealt with a lot of ultra wealthy people at their parties and stuff like that. And there, there's a, it's a, it's a different type of mentality and person. Like when you start getting into the like hundreds of millions of dollars, it oh, changes yeah. who, it changes who you are as a person. Like you, it just, you just can't avoid it. Totally know what you're talking about. Because everyone around you changes how they act around you. Do that's, you? that's first and foremost. <laughs> and so like who, you know, the guy that wrote this movie, like a lot of the scenes that, you know, people, you know, there's a, I've, I've dealt with a lot of Susan Johnson's. Let's talk about her. <laughs> okay. Susan Johnson, did she really love him? Or was I mean, she just playing uh, it off? Insofar as she was a character at all, I, I guess. Yeah, she's the worst character in the whole movie as far as like that there's no dimension to her and there's no real she's just kind of a a plot device. I will admit that. She's the least fleshed out character. I mean, even, you know, you know, even Liza Minnelli's father had had more character arc. And more, and I, I don't ahead. want to bring it up again, but in Arthur too, <laughs> Jesus um, Christ, why do you do this? <laughs> no, no, they carry on that storyline with her, and yeah, she was she was legitimately in love with him. Like they bring, to a weird. Oh, they bring degree. her back. Yeah, it's like a weird degree. She was in love with him. Hmm. Yeah, she's kind of a major plot point. Like the the plot revolves around her and her dad in the second one trying to to take Arthur down after the wedding fiasco and whatnot. Okay. So yeah, she did. And uh, you're right. In the first one, she's just like, she's just there. She's you know? a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of wish I had more to say about this, but like, I didn't hate it. It was just like, I didn't like it very much. And there's not a whole lot of conversation that can come out of that. Yeah. I just, I find it, you know, interesting that you didn't find it funny that's all i can understand not necessarily liking it but not finding it funny i just i just i, I find that <laughs> what's yeah, wrong with you josh almost yeah. everything fell flat i mean john gilgood made me laugh a few times and i think once or twice uh i found something arthur said funny i, I remember maybe laughing during the moosehead scene but most of the time i was like okay see and i love a good romantic comedy and i you know it's, it's no secret that i love hugh grant films 
and this reminded me a lot of kind of that same kind of uh, foppish person. I can't think of what the word I was looking for. You know, falling in love with the woman that was kind of unexpected and the genteel man. What happens around that? Hmm. And <laughs> I, I personally love that whole scene when he knocks on the wrong door. And he starts talking to Perry and Perry's wife. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my husband has a gun. She's for all we terrible. Know, he's got it off right now. <laughs> yeah, when he goes up, Mike, and he says that. that, that when he, he goes up, have you met baby, them? The, His the, wife the, is terrible. <laughs> the empty baby stroller. You shouldn't hear any of this. <laughs> So uh, of all the of all the John Gilgood lines, Josh, which one made you laugh? Uh, honestly, it was probably the "If I should begin to die, take this off my head." <laughs> <laughs> oh, my my biggest laugh on on the any Gilgood shtick in there had to been like Pat said at the at the racetrack. Take off your helmet. Now take off, and he's slapping. What does he say, Pat? Oh, you say you're unloved? Welcome to the world. Everyone is unloved. (laughs) But the way he bitch slaps them. One of the scenes that I I found kind of enjoyable also was where he's in the stable. And he's talking about how it's his favorite horse. And the horse keeps interacting. Yeah. I Mm. really wonder how much of that was scripted. Because Liza Minnelli had some genuine, like... Oh Almost yeah, like like the, the horse just fainted. That was improv. Yeah. I, I I've watched this with commentary on before. And it's, you know, it it yeah. felt like a lot of it was was unintentional, but it seven hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> oh, the horse just fainted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I like that part a lot. That was a very a very genuine scene because again, I think they weren't expecting what, the horse to. What about Harold? Oh, you poor sweet. <laughs> 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 He's taking the knife out of the cheese. You think he wants some cheese? <laughs> I wonder how much of it is is uh, improv. Because you think with that Dudley Moore with Dudley Moore and her, yeah. I mean, how much well, of it is, is just them? You know, like almost like Ghostbusters, with them saying, "You know, you two got the idea. Do your thing." I mean, like Pat said, they they redid that one scene. Several times, so I, you know, I wouldn't put it past him to have done that with the rest of it, because mm-hmm. I could see him both kind of jumping in here and there and and running with it. Yeah, because I mean, he's a he's a master of improv. That's you know one of the things that he started off in. So I, I'm sure that they did a lot of improvisational stuff. Well, and, she, and she Liza Minnelli can throw a, it around too. So yeah, she grew up in show business, so I mean she. She's so comfortable. I'm sure it just came second nature. Yeah, yeah. So anything, Josh, man? <laughs> <laughs> like, did you like? Uh, he's, the... a, he's allowed not to like it. I know you know, he's not like. Right. I'm waiting for. I mean, just some. I, I I don't hate it enough to like go on a rant about it. I just yeah, like, that's yeah, what he said. I was he sort of bored by it. it. Hmm. He, he just nothings it. That's all. Yeah. Any thoughts like, on Christopher Cross? I mean, something. I, <laughs> I, I gave it another shot. I had my mind open. Like, okay, I'm in a different place in my life. Maybe I'll like it this time. I watched it. I was like, huh. You ever okay. been caught between the moon and New York City? Well, and that's a reason. <laughs> one of the reasons I ended up watching the second one is because I, I like the first one so much. I'm like, do I watch it a second time or do I watch the second one just so I can touch on it during the show and see, you know, 
because there is a lot of negative criticism around that film. And I didn't find it as, you know, as bad as everybody said. What, the second one? Yeah, and it doesn't ruin the... Let's talk about Arthur Chu. Yeah, I'm just saying that's why I watched it is because I enjoyed the first one so much. It was I'm just saying you have to be clear when we're doing this sort of show, whether by the second one you mean Arthur Chu on the rocks or the remake. Yeah, on the rocks. Sorry. Wow. Yeah, that's... That's, I, I like kind of, to be a completionist. I'm sorry. I'm looking at it. It's got two out of four for Arthur two on the rocks, 4.4 out of 10 for IMDb, 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, two out of four from Roger Ebert. Google users, 85% of people like this movie. Hmm. Oh, uh, by, by the way, to answer your question earlier, I love Martha. You, I didn't answer it. All I did was quote peanuts. So the grandma. Yes. I love grandma. I love her. <laughs> what did you say? Oh, I turned her down. <laughs> I mean, I took the money. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Yeah. When he first said that, when he, that, that they, I was like, Oh, he really is going to give everything up. I'm like, wow. And then, yeah, when he comes back and says that, I'm like, yeah, that was a smart move. Hmm. Yeah. Seven what was it. 750 million. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that. yeah. <laughs> I'll get a job. That's what I'll do. <laughs> It's a $500 fight if you spit. Then I won't spit. (laughs) (laughs) And no, he doesn't stop drinking in the second one. No. And it's much more sad because they're in a little tiny apartment and he's still a raging drunk. Yeah. I have to, I have to give him some respect. If that's, if he was actually drinking on this man. He probably was because he was a known alcoholic. It's was one he? of the reasons why he could fake it so well because <laughs> huh. some, some of the times he wasn't faking. Well, when he drank like the the uh, three cups of bourbon after, during the moose scene. Well, but you wonder how much of that was iced tea or something spiked with vodka. I don't know. What do you think about the um, uh, just lost her name, Susan's dad? Johnson, Burt yeah. Johnson, Burt Johnson, stock villain. Yeah. Rich guy. I, the fact that he actually like beat the living crap out of Arthur sort of surprised me. I'd forgotten about that. I know he really did a good number on him. Didn't he? Yeah, I mean, usually in this harsh. sort of film, if someone is all tough talk and then like Liza Minnelli would have punched him out and he would have fallen over and everyone would have been happy, but no, that didn't happen. Yeah. He, I mean, he did stab a man in his kitchen when he was 11. So it is told. He, he almost stabbed Arthur once he got the cheese knife until he got talked, you know, but woken out of it. Yeah. Well, we never know if he Bob just Martha, wanted the hero cheese. of the story. What'd you say? I'm sorry? The music clearly indicated he was going to kill him. Maybe that's just his. I want cheese music. <laughs> I have to check the soundtrack. See if that's one of the, you, tracks. Don't, you don't have your own cheese music, Joel. No, but I want it. Yeah, see. I'd like my fees to be terrified every time I'm about to eat it. <laughs> the, the horror makes it taste better. Mm-hmm. Right. It's sort of the opposite of cruelty free. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want my cheese cruelty loaded, please. <laughs> Put as much cruelty into my cheese as you can. Cheese is even better if it's terrified of you. Exactly. That's yeah. all I'm saying. My cheese right. cutting music is Hi Ho from uh, Snow White. We will stuff your cheese with veal and stuff that with pate. <laughs> and then we will stuff all of that down a goose's throat. 
Ah, maximum cruelty. <laughs> it will be, it will be uh, then, um, you know, covered in the tears of the saddened. There's a nice little, you know. Tears of the saddened? Yeah, I couldn't think of what I wanted he, to say. He, he totally ran out of steam in yeah. the middle yeah. of that one. <laughs> the tears of the, what is it I'm looking of for? Of a clown? Second. Is that vehicle? <laughs> That's the theme from Taxi, right? <laughs> All right, I think we're beating this horse. Yeah, I, th- I think we I think we've said enough about Arthur at this point. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little break and uh, come back and talk about Arthur. 2011 was a thing. True. Yes. Can't wait to hear. I'm, I'm, I won't lie. I've got my hopes up for a rant. <laughs> and so does the dog. <laughs> so does Lucy, yeah. Things are going to get weird. All right, we'll be back in a little bit. All right, we are back, and uh, we are going to talk about Arthur 2011, because that is what they did. They remade this movie. So I'm uh, going to preface this with, this is one of those movies I don't understand why they remade it. Just like my mother, the car. No, I mean, just like like I talked about earlier, you know, how that the first movie doesn't really feel like a conventional movie. It just doesn't. And, and, and remaking it during a time when a lot of remakes, you know, are coming out and there's not a whole lot of care done to some of them. I just I didn't I didn't see the need for this one to be remade. It was it's enough of a cult classic to be appreciated as it was, but not enough of a hit to need a remake. Well, I almost think that this was a case where they saw Russell Brand and decided, let's make a vehicle for him because he's British mm-hmm. impaired. It was sort of like <laughs> casting Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. I mean, he, he was the perfect Tony Stark. That was his life. So I guess I mean, if you, if you reverse engineer it, yeah, you're trying to find something to put Russell Brand in. It makes a little more sense. If you've watched the Umbrella Academy, basically Klaus is Russell Brand if you give Klaus a whole lot of money and take away his powers. That and and Russell Brand, to be honest, sounded a lot like Dudley Moore. He had that same kind of higher pitched. No, he sounded like David Tennant. I didn't get that. Russell Brand? I didn't get that he was trying to sound like Dudley Moore either. Well, I, I don't know if it was intentional. He just had that same kind of... And intonation and inflection, and they, they they have a similar speech pattern. Plus, their and their octave of their voice is, is similar. But anyway, anyway, yes. So, this one, Arthur is a rich alcoholic playboy with no regards to his working life. After another drunken run-in with the law, his aloof mother has had enough and forces him to marry Susan, a proper businesswoman, or else he will lose his inheritance. Just as he's engaged to Susan, he meets Naomi, a free-spirited girl who Arthur thinks is perfect for him. Any attempts at holding down a job are fruitless, so Arthur has to decide what is more important, love or his mother's money. That's actually that's, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, this is directed by Jason Weiner, 
who uh, done such things as Chad, an American boy. Ode to Joy, Perfect Harmony, and lots of TV. Modern Family, yep. Crazy Ones, 1600 Pen, uh, two episodes New Girl. Yeah, lots of TV credits for that dude. Yeah, it's, which apparently seems to be the theme if you are directing and writing uh, Arthur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not allowed to do much else. Yeah. Oh, you wrote Arthur? Yeah, here's the TV. Let's go. Write me another episode of Taxi. You get to hang out over here with the guy who wrote Fresh Prince. I bet he's pretty cool. Hi. I know Will Smith. <laughs> All right. This you want is... to see me do the Carlton? I honestly hope nobody like roasts me if they're listening to this because I have no idea who wrote Fresh Prince. I was just taking a stab in the dark and hoping it was a one-hit guy. Turns out it's like Steven Soderbergh or something. <laughs> no, it's Wes Anderson, Kevin. <clears throat> so, I would watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air done by Soderbergh. That would be really kind of strange. Um, now you've got me down the rabbit hole to see who David wrote. David Lynch's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd love it. God, there are at least. Ooh, it'd be like a, it'd be, it'd be like a backwards rapping guy. Oh. oh, yeah. Before we go, yeah, I agree. We're gonna go down a rabbit hole that we can't come back from. So keep, <laughs> keep moving, please. One of the guys who wrote one episode, his name is Ernest Tron Anderson. We did that show, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. No, the Tron show. He was, and here's weirdness, he was also a miscellaneous crew on Independence Day and Men in Black and Bad Boys. So he does know Will Smith. Apparently. You uh, do realize that Josh is about to stroke out, right? <laughs> I'm currently talking about Arthur on a completely different podcast. <laughs> All right, so Arthur, writing credits, Peter Bainham and Steve Gordon. Screenplay and story, Russell Brand as Arthur, as you may know him for having a large mouth of teeth and being British. And Hello. looking half like uh, Rocky Dennis. What? What? He's got a How big you... face is what I'm saying. I, I've always just found him funny as like the like bisexual hot mess drug addict comic. Like I think his fa- stand up is funny. I've always liked Russell Brand. I think his stand up is better than anything else he does. His stand-up is is introspective, thoughtful, and intelligent. And every, you know, and, and other than playing Aldous Snow in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, pretty much everything he's done on screen. Spoiler alert: not a fan. I I liked him in Bedtime Stories with Adam Sandler. Oh, I, sh- I haven't seen that one. I feel like good, I'm man. taking crazy pills. <laughs> you We're are. gonna disagree again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh my God, you like this one. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Dame Helen Mirren as the female Hobson. Dun, and dun, Helen dun. Mirren Helen is Mirren. pretty much always awesome. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And she's still a very attractive woman. Mm-hmm. And she never phones it in. Nope. Truth. Nope. Uh, Greta Gerwig as Naomi. She's probably actually best known for writing Lady Bird. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> After this, she went and wrote a movie about Lady Bird's. Well, I mean, Lady Bird was an Oscar contender. Like, mm-hmm. it was very close to Best Picture. And she's incredibly charming, I think. Yeah, I, I was actually shocked that uh, she didn't do more as an actress. 
No, she After really this. doesn't. I mean, she has 40 credits to her name, ranging from popping up on Portlandia to uh, China, Illinois, which I've never seen. That's a TV series. Um, and did a voice on Isle of Dogs was the last thing that she ever did. Speaking of Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, I got to see that still. We've gone full circle. Isle of Dogs of the French Fresh Prince. All right, Isle of French Fresh Princes. Yes, Jennifer Garner as the very different Susan. <laughs> very different Susan. Yeah. Yeah. Know her as uh, Alias, 30, 13 going on 30. <gasps> Where have I heard that theme before? Electra, not yes. And as playing Electra, yes. Unfortunately. I know, right? Uh, Louise Guzman as Bitterman. For some reason. Yes, because they needed a driver, and... He's like, hey, I'm not working right now. And I'm already wearing the Robin costume, so... We got more of the Bitterman I didn't want. I like Luis Guzman, but yeah, he was... Yeah, same, was same here. I, yeah, I, I like him, but I mean, this was... I just didn't care for the this, this take on Bitterman. In no. general, I found the actors who took the roles to be either as good or an upgrade. This would be the exception. Oh, of Luis Guzman. Yeah. Yes. He, he would be the exception. This is the only downgrade as far as I'm concerned in the cast. And I think the character of Bitterman in this one was, it should not have been played as the comedic foil. Well, I mean, that's the thing is my, as much as I, I, you could tell I like this movie because I already kind of spoiled that. He is the definition of the one problem I had with it was that it's a bit much. Yep. Hmm. And a lot of the a bit much came from his portrayal of Bitterman. Although he made me laugh. I probably laughed more at his Bitterman than I did at the entire original. So. Hmm. But it was written for that purpose. It was just basically written to be a one-dimensional, you know, car- comic relief character. Sure, yeah. L- low comedy. Hundred percent, I'm with you. Right. So, uh, Burt Johnson was played by Nick Nolte, who uh, unfortunately they didn't tell him that he's playing a character, and he actually did just try and shove Russell Brand's face onto a table saw. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't in the script at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, just go with it. He's gonna bur- He's gonna cut his face off. No, no, it's got the wet thing on the blade. It'll stop. He was all pumped up full of adrenaline because he's a method actor, and he's like, shoot me with those nails! No, he is actually what you're mistaken. He's not a method. He's a meth actor. Oh. See, that's where... I think you're confusing him with Gary Busey. Oh, I am I again? Yeah, I think you guys are thinking Gary Busey. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen that mugshot? That was like 20 years ago. All right. So Evander Hollyfield as Evander Hollyfield. And Joel. I only put this in there because of his name. Stink Fisher <laughs> as Foreman. I just put it in there because I'm like, is this the, really a dude? Is that really his name? And yes, he really is an actor named. That Steve. must have been the guy that was wearing the hard hat that gave him a hard hat. The one sad BJ on it. I'll never get tired of that. <laughs> All right. So some trivia. Ricky Gervais turned down the lead role. He told the press, I said no straight away. Why would I mess with a perfect comedy? They know people don't watch films that have the wrong font. It's got an 80s font. <laughs> Good on I thought him. you'd appreciate that, Pat. 
Yep, that's that's kind of almost what I was saying. Yeah. All right, so uh, Arthur states that his father died at the age of 44 in homage to Steve Gordon, who directed the original Arthur and also died at age 44. Hey, that's mm. how old I am. Oh, oh. shit. Hey, yeah. I, I beat him. Yeah, now all you have to do is write a hit movie. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. Could remake Taxi Driver. Ooh, oh, dude. Already got the theme song. <laughs> Just need to get Burt Backrack on board and you'd be fine. <laughs> All right, while well, sulking in his back. Next ba- thing you know, I'll be, the, I'll be the new Harry Chapin. <laughs> Dead in a car accident. Um, oh, 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 dark. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Wish upon a star, my lad. Um <laughs> While sulking in his Batmobile after Hobson gives him aspirin and a vitamin, Arthur, played by Russell Brand, scrolls through his phone to look for Naomi's number, and we briefly see Katy Perry, Brand's then-wife, listed as a contact. Oh, that was a fun little Easter egg. That is kind of cool. That is neat. I'm glad they put it in here, because I would have never noticed that. I didn't notice it. I didn't either. Neither did I. There you go. During the dinner scene at Grand Central Station, the background music that is playing is an instrumental version of the Christopher Cross song, The Best That You Can Do. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I I didn't think that was an Easter egg. I thought that was pretty That was a nod. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was also not an Easter egg that it was the closing credits theme. Well, there was a different version of it. I have issue with that song. Anyway, Kevin Smith was approached to direct at one point. Are you going to expand on that later? Yes, that's a teaser for after I finish this next sentence. Okay, good. All right, in the final scene where there is a collection of movie cars, the car displayed on the far right is a Rolls Royce from the original Arthur. I was going to bring that up because I kind of figured it was. Yeah, because they focus completely on it. Right, at one point they pan and they just stop. I'm like, well, that's up. I, was, I, saw, I, I saw it in the lineup. I'm like, huh, I wonder if that. And then they stop on it. I'm like, okay, yeah, I yeah, guess just it is. Just waiting for the little uh, like uh, cartoon arrows to pop up and say car from the 80s. You know? <laughs> or, or the little things, you know, the little flash bulbs. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know who sang the closing credit song, the remake of Best You Can Do, but it was terrible. Huh. I disagree, and partially because I'm a huge fan of the people who sang it. Who, who sang it? That, that was Fitz in the Tantrums. Tantrums, yeah. yeah I, I was, really say, and I was a Fitz in the Tantrums fan like two years before anyone knew who they were. I like Fitz in the Tantrums, but I maybe I just really like that. I really like The Best You Can Do more than I like Fitz in the Tantrums. I, I just, waited to, to find out because I was curious. I don't know who Fitz in the Tantrums are. I don't even know that name. I guarantee you've heard at least the two of their songs that have been licensed for like every commercial everywhere. Yeah, probably if they're yeah, if they're on. But I don't know. I don't listen to a lot of commercials. So I don't, we'll, I'll, I'll look them up when we're done. No, he won't. No, he won't. Yeah, I will. Have you heard hand clap? I can make your hands clip. There you go. That Fitz, one. That one. Fitz, yeah, that's, that's Fitz. Oh, okay. Uh, then I probably like them. Ah, yeah. so Pat. And that's one of their more poppy mainstream songs. Yeah. Like, Originally, a lot of their stuff was pop by way of paying homage to Motown. Oh, I, would yeah, like I have to say, the hand clap song, it's that I have a little story about that because the apparently my boss's daughter was doing like um dance class and they had their 
their end of the end of the lessons presentation and she was like they're doing it to hand clap and i'm like yeah she goes i listened to the words of that song I'm like yeah she goes nine-year-old girls should not be dancing to that song i'm like no they shouldn't be <laughs> like it's about sex well, yeah, my my, my, chet, my niece at her eleven uh, year old, my eleven year old niece at her birthday party, request uh, gave the DJ a bunch of request songs, and my thirty year old niece, her older sister, uh, saw the list of songs that she turned in, and she's like, uh, "No, no, 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 we have to talk," because <laughs> she's obviously listening to music that you know that none of us, my mom, my sister, and myself, don't know what the hell they are. It's top ten crap, and she listens to it, so she's like, "Yeah, you're not listening to this song." <laughs> It's yeah. better than if a bunch of nine-year-olds were listening to "Make It Clap," "Make It Clap." <laughs> you know, I don't know what song it was she was listening to, but you know, apparently it was not appropriate yeah. for a tent for an eleven-year-old. In the meantime, I've got my really bookish, quiet nineteen-year-old that's listening to Five Finger Death Punch. <laughs> so, anyway, moving on. First viewing for anyone, all of us. Yeah, so me. I saw this one once before. Oh, really? Oh. Yep. I, well, I mean, because as much as I love Arthur, of course I'm going to watch the remake. Oh, yeah. It's Arthur, it's got another British dude. Why would you not love it? Oh, I figured out why. But we'll get there. We're, <laughs> I got, we're I got news for you. We're here. We're oh, here. oh, okay. Yeah. We've I arrived. Hated I hated it. No, I, I, mean, I can't really say I hated it. I mean, it just was... It, it was a remake, like I said before, that I don't think needed to be done. And it was just done as a remake Didn't that didn't need to be done. It was just very plain and vanilla and it was made i um i feel like i like it was made just to be, be shoehorned just to have him shoehorned into a role i agree with that assessment mm-hmm. i mean th- that's fair i mean that's that's a reason to dislike that i i just found it overall funnier and i thought that uh they delved in i liked the relationship between this arthur and this hobson even more than the original mainly because they uh expanded on the relationship and gave hobson even more screen time yeah but i just didn't i didn't like the whole uh nanny mother relationship i i mean i i preferred the butler relationship myself it's uh, would be a fair criticism to say this is partially a remake of Arthur with a little dash of a remake of Big involved. Mm. It's funny that you say that because I mentioned to, when my sister was in here when I started the movie, and I mentioned to her I was like, "This doesn't feel like uh, Arthur, like from the first movie, because he was he was unhappy. He wasn't a grown up. He wasn't like a child. I was like, this feels like more like Tom Hanks and Big. Yeah. So it's, fu- I mean, it's funny that you bring that up. I, I mentioned that too. So. He, he was very childlike, very uh, leaning into the arrested development. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't like it because the, the, you know, the, the, the Arthur from the first movie, he, he was a drunk because he was unhappy. He even though he was childish, he wasn't like a child. He, he didn't, he, he did childish things, but he wasn't childish in nature. Right. And but don't you think that the the Hobson relationship in this was a bit more realistic? His mother was non-existent, and he's basically being raised by her, and she was a mother figure. Well, in- yeah, I mean the fact that they made Hobson a female, of course, there's going to be maternal uh, overlays over you know and feelings and whatnot. They also didn't rush through the death scene. They added a couple more links in there with how she liked bears. And it was one of the few things that like, she didn't even realize that he paid that much attention to her. 
for sure. And it was that you know the the whole death montage was very touching. Yeah. Well, and I thought that that even though it wasn't a direct remake in terms of they they changed a lot of the main plot points, but they made them work in this setting and they still hit all the same beats. Yeah. And I was overall overwhelmingly more charmed by uh, Greta Gerwig as Naomi than uh, over Liza Minnelli as Linda. Mm. Yeah. I see. I, I got to go with Liza for uh, many, many layered reasons. <laughs> hmm, I wonder why <laughs> I can think of one. Yeah. I, I think I, I just th- Naomi was too vanilla for me. Naomi was too much of the perfect, uh, not Susan. And I I don't know. I think I bought the idea of the first, um, the first girl better than Naomi. Yeah, she was, she was, I I felt like, uh, like Liza Minnelli's version was much more, uh, well-rounded she felt much you know she had flaws she had uh she had more personality like like i mean she was she was quick to anger whereas this girl was just like i don't know even when she was mad she still seemed like you know whatever about it yeah the, i mean come compare the two scenes when both when arthur came to tell tell her that she he was uh engaged liza minnelli became i mean she reacted in a way that was believable for a yeah. romantic comedy Naomi was just kind of like, oh, God, just get out. I mean, for me, they were both stock stereotypes. Liza Minnelli's character was New Yorker straight out of central casting. And to be fair, Naomi is straight manic pixie dream girl. Mm -hmm. She could have been any character that was played by Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, but the difference is, is stock central casting New Yorker doesn't charm me. Manic pixie dream girl does. I, I, I agree with that assessment, but I also... I don't think Liza Minnelli was straying too far from who Liza Minnelli is. No, and I think that's why she was so much more charming is because I think going back to the conversation we had about how much uh, ad-libbing they did, that it was you got that Liza Minnelli feel from it and versus, I mean, the, the personality out of it versus just a manic pixie dream girl reciting her script. I mean, Linda was definitely much funnier than Naomi. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, I liked the relationship, the interplay between um, Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli. I liked their, their love affair more so than in this, but I didn't dislike Russell Brand and her. Um, I thought it worked. It just was a different take on the same story. I mean, ru- the, the character of Arthur, as played by Russell Brand, he's much more concerned with just, I'm going to use this money to do whatever I want to do to make myself happy. Whereas Dudley Moore was using it uh, just, uh, he used it a lot to like strike out as his father. His expenditures were more like, you know, 36 sweaters of one color sent to his dad. Mm. You know, that kind of crap. Whereas, you know, Russell Brand was not necessarily about just, you know, spending money as revenge. It was just like, you know, to spend money to get six guys on trampolines while he's shutting down Grand Central Station. Right. Right. I mean, he said that's what money is for. Although yeah, he yeah. does have one scene where it shows that he acts out by spending. Right. 
So I mean, it, it just I mean they, they they almost changed the entire character to to what I feel was a, a lesser change. It, it, I don't I don't think it added anything to the character, making him more childish and less just uh, overall depressed, for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, he was. Mu- I, I felt Dudley Moore's Arthur was much more uh, introspective, I guess. But I think it made more sense in terms of how they wrapped up the story where he went through the six months of not having money or not. Well, you, you assume he doesn't have money. Oh, he had a pretty through. nice outfit for not having money. I'm just saying that right now. <laughs> well, well, by that point he'd already gotten his inheritance back. Right. They, mm. they played it like he didn't have it, but he went through, you know, the program he was using his story to kind of try and help others. He was growing up. And by the end of the film, he had kind of had his, his third act character arc and it felt a little more genuine based on how completely off the rails he was for the first two acts of the film. Um, I I will say about the new Susan, I consider this a side grade because the original was barely a character. And while I liked this character, there's something about Jennifer Garner where like, I, I, I buy her as sexy. I don't know that I buy her as villain. I don't know. She was pretty like, freaking manipulative in this one. I mean, just something about her charisma. I, I had a hard time buying the villainous aspects of her character. Oh man. The, that, the, that, the thing, the problem that I have with, uh, um, oh my God, I just blanked on her name. Uh, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. The problem that I have with her is there is nothing inherently like bad or wrong about her, but she's just like 80% of the way there on just about everything that you're looking for, which is why she's always going to be like a B list celebrity. She's never going to be in the A because like she's 80% of the way to like a Jessica, um, a Jessica, I don't I can't, uh, just a peel or a Scarlett Johansson or whatever, like whatever, whatever kind of ways you want to like compare her to anybody that's in the A-list. She's like 80% of the way in their direction. She's nothing bad. There's nothing inherently I mean, with, I, I get you a Scarlett Johansson, but uh, I, I'm not sure the, she's a bigger star than uh, Jessica Biel ever was. Yeah. 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 I, I just blanked on the, the actual Jessica okay. I was trying to think of. Fair enough. <laughs> Jessica Tandy. No, um, fucking, um, Jessica Fletcher. Whatever. Yeah, you're not, not thinking of Jessica Alba because she's a bigger star than she ever was. Yeah, too. you know, I know Jessica Alba was the first one that popped to mind, and then I got stuck on the name Jessica, and I just can't even remember. Idris Alba. So, so Jessica Lyon. We have completely derailed on my point. My point being, let's get Jessica. Whatever A list celebrity you want to come up with, she's in some way like eighty percent as good as them, but just not. She just doesn't quite get over that final hump, and that's why I think she's just never going to be an A lister. Well, that and she's stuck to the bed. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole scene just cracked me up. I, I, I like farce doors comedy. Um, her being the drunken, sexy cat. While you had the heart uh, touching scene between Naomi and Hobson in the other room watching cartoons. I, I just the whole thing. I, I laughed. More in any given scene of this than I did in the entire original film. Hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm almost the opposite. I laughed 
almost throughout the entire movie, and I laughed maybe four or five times during this one. Come yeah. on, the scene where he's with the kids and they're, he's telling a story and <laughs> he says he had a problem with candy. Yeah. Like, meth? Okay, <laughs> that, that was great. funny. I, I am with Patrick that as soon as the Batmobile hit the bull, I was like, I hate this movie. I did have a couple moments where I laughed at it, but I did not. First off, I do not think that Russell Brand is nearly as charming as Dudley Moore. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I am of the opposite opinion. We call that the wrong opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just don't know enough about Dudley Moore. No, I, I know enough. <laughs> I know more than I want to, actually. Uh, and I recognize that actually liking Russell Brand actually puts me in the minority. I, I've always liked him. And uh, I was not looking forward to seeing this because I don't like Arthur. But I actually, I might watch this one again. See, I think I, the reason people don't like Russell Brand is because at one point or another, somebody forgot to tell him that he's a comedian. I, I, he got, a, I don't want to say he got cocky, but he got a little preachy, maybe. Well, he's always been cocky and preachy. That's one of his calling cards. Yeah. I mean, his true. public persona kind of overtook his. His, you know, his. Um, yeah, for sure. On, on the, on, you're definitely right about that. That kind of overshadowed anything he was doing, and that kind of brought him down. And I do think he's better on. as a support player than he is as the star. Oh, I think yeah. he's better as a stand-up comedian than he is even as a support player. Yeah, I definitely agree that that his stand-up comedy is his strong suit. And I like him better on podcasts, and I like him in movies. Hmm. Does he have a podcast? No, just he's been a guest on a few that I've huh. watched or listened to. Um, Nick Nolte is Burt Johnson. I mean, the original Burt was barely a character, but uh, from the instant he came out with the nails in his chest, and, that and, just cracked me up. <laughs> okay, I will give you that. The fact that he ref- he did not acknowledge the fact that he had a tenpenny nail sticking out of his shoulder was pretty damn funny. I and Nick Nolte's creepy, man. <laughs> well, he, he can play that kind of menacing guy that you don't want to mess with. I don't think he's playing. Yeah. I, that's just it. I, he's believable in that, in that role. Cause maybe that's how he is. I don't know. Okay. True story. Um, <laughs> buddy of mine from the, uh, lives in LA used to be a script runner for some, uh, some uh, production company, not really important who, and he was dropping off a script at Nick Nolte's house. And when the, when the Nick Nolte's PA or whoever it was came to the door, you know, and signed for the script, he goes, got a delivery for Jack Yates. <laughs> and, you know, which is his character name for 48 hours. And as the guy, as the PA is signing for it, Nick Nolte like appears in the background, like stick his head around the corner. Not bad, kid. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> that, that's a ballsy play. Yep. <laughs> Paid up right for him. <laughs> Have we done a 48-hour show? Have they redone nope. 48 hours? No, they haven't. It's It'll happen. Mm. Yeah. That, that's yep. one of those where we don't preemptively make it, because eventually it will be remade. Yeah. 
with Russell Brand and The Rock. <laughs> Russell Brand and Jackie Chan. What? <laughs> I mean, I'd watch it, but... Uh. You stick a banana in a tailpipe. <laughs> God, dude. I don't understand what you're saying. I say, you put, you put a banana in a tailpipe. Of all things that makes you laugh? <laughs> what are you saying? Oh, oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, so are we going to do a thumbs up, thumbs down on this? Yeah. Uh, have your worst nightmare: a ninja with a badge. <laughs> I'm done with this film. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> going back to Arthur two. It's just two hours of him dancing in a gummy bear costume while drinking scotch with the Rock. Arthur two on the Rock. <laughs> okay that was good that was good that was good <laughs> i don't even know what to say anymore oh all right that justifies all the times joel brought up arthur two on the rocks throughout this entire <laughs> podcast that joke i was building to that oh my god all the pieces just suddenly fit together <laughs> He's had that on a post-it note on his screen for the entire show. <laughs> we're gonna be right, done with this. Up. We're gonna be done with the show when he's over there fist pumping. Nailed it. <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. All right, pa- Joel. What are we doing next week? Oh no, we didn't do right, thumbs, thumbs up, thumbs up. down. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Pat. Uh, I'm, oh, not you. Okay, Pat, Joel. I you. <laughs> no, I, I. Sorry, I was in the middle of uh, something. Um. <laughs> Hold on. I have to exhale now. Okay. Uh, no. Not that fun. That's for after the show. Oh. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was taking my... Maybe we should come back to Pat. <laughs> come back to me. Come back to me. He's <laughs> dying. Joel! Uh, I'm, I'm thumbs up on both films. Enthusiastically. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm uh. happy. I'm... Jesus Christ. I literally was like, don't throw it at me, don't throw it at me. Okay, so um, I am obviously a thumbs up on the first one. Uh, It's one of my top 20 comedies of all time. Um, And I don't, I mean, I really, I don't want to give it a thumbs up, but I don't want to give it a thumbs down, so I guess I'm going to have to do do the cheat and go thumbs sideways for the, for the remake. I just, I the, the almost the entire thing. I just kind of, it was there. I mean, it, I didn't like hate it. I just didn't really love it. So, for me, it's almost Pat's opinion exactly reversed. Like it, it's <laughs> barely a thumbs down, but thumb sideways trending down for the original and enthusiastic thumbs up for the remake. Enthusiastic thumbs up. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But that's it. We're gonna fight in August. I mean, that was happening anyway, but I'm just... I'm, right. Like, that was already on the dock. How is that different? <laughs> Joel, mine, what about you? you? Oh. I already said mine. We did? Yeah, yeah. He, he covered while I was uh, Thumbs up, thumbs down. 
was not impressed with the remake. I am not a Russell. I, I, of course, I was stepping into it as not being a Russell Brand fan to begin with. Um, I think I agree with the fact that it was made just because someone said, hey, what's another comedy that has a guy with a British accent in it? And that's the first one that came up in conversation. I just I feel like everybody but Helen Mirren was just trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Well, not even not I well not um in my opinion yeah, Naomi Greta Gerwig was completely vanilla, and I found absolutely no connection with her whatsoever. She's mm. cute, and she's you know she seemed smart so. as a character, you know. But I mean. Yeah, and it's fair to say that her character could have been replaced by any character from any Zoe Deschanel movie. Right. Or a bag of flour. Oh. Did not like her. So. So. But you like flour. I do like flour because flour makes cookies. She does not make cookies. She might make cookies. She might make cookies if you asked her. I mean, if you grind her up, what kind of cookies are you going to get from that? Gluten free. Uh-huh. Point taken. Joel, what are we doing next week? <laughs> next week, Teen Wolf 1985 versus the 2011 series. Wow. All right. If you want to give your opinions on Arthur or Russell one. Brand or Bags of Flour for some reason, <laughs> uh, you can give us a call. Let us know at 708 now wrap. That's 708-669-9727. Right. And uh, again, looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Podverse, FM, NoonFM.com. Find us on Spotify. Leave us some reviews. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. If there's a movie or remake that you think we should cover, give us a ring and uh, tell us about it. We always appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we will uh, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and el- welcome, Bickages. <laughs> <laughs> Take two. Take two. <laughs> Do you want titles again? Yep. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs>